This program is brought to you by the Assembly of Geeks, geek content for a geeky world. Visit us at assemblyofgeeks.com. The saga begins, and with it, so does the Sky Talkers Machete series. This week is all about the Phantom Menace. Put away your pitchforks and decapitated Jar Jar toys for now, because we've got a lot to cover in this episode. Instead, dust off your racing goggles and cue up Duel of the Fates, because we're about to do some serious pod racing. I mean, podcasting. Welcome to Sky Talkers This Galactic Life. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers This Galactic Life. I'm your host, Charlotte. And I'm your host, Caitlin. And we are super excited for this episode, you guys. Yes. Um, before we get to discussing all things The Phantom Menace, what have you been up to in your Star Wars life, Caitlin? Uh, well, I think the two obvious answers are Forces of Destiny and Woo! Dark Disciple. We finally <laughs> read Dark Disciple. <laughs> Caitlin and I both decided on the same day to start with the audiobook mm-hmm. of Dark Disciple, and it's been on our list for a while, and we've kind of like made fun of it <laughs> no, 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 in no. our heads. Okay. Yeah, I mean, Caitlin, you explain. Okay. Yeah, we have. A, li- have. a little bit. I don't know if I would say making fun, but just mm-hmm. like sheer amazement that this book existed. Because we had never heard of this book until like six months ago or something like that. And someone tweeted about it, about Ventress as a romantic heroine. And I'm scrolling through Twitter and I was like, wait a second, Ventress as a romantic heroine? What? In what world? And so I look up this book and I, I, I did spoilers like immediately. And I texted Charlotte in complete shock about the nature of this book because it was just mind-blowing. And I sent her a, like, recap of the summary and just how crazy it was. Like, Voss, the dark side, Ventress, lovers, dead, Dathomir, like, all at once. And it was just a range of emotions. But that was, like, six months ago, and we finally just got to it. And it was everything I thought it would be and more. Yes. It was, to me... And, you know, I think Caitlin and I will do a Patreon-exclusive episode about Dark Disciple, but we both really felt so happy to be back in the Clone Wars universe. And especially listening to the audiobook, it was like being brought back to a Clone Wars episode in that time period. It just made me really nostalgic. Toppled with um, the Forces of Destiny episode today with Anakin and Ahsoka 2. It's oh, just yeah. been a Clone Wars filled week. Oh, and I watched Heroes on Both Sides earlier this week, too, from Clone Wars season three, I think. So, so there's good. Been a, there's been a lot of Clone Wars this week, and I, I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm for it. I just feel like we're in this point in our life, though, where there's just so much Star Wars around me. Like, I am feel like I'm, like, drowning in Star Wars content, mm-hmm. but I love it. Yeah. So it's just bring on all the Star Wars, honestly. And then I watched The Phantom Menace, and we're both mm-hmm. going to talk about The Phantom Menace. It's just been a really great... Star Wars filled two weeks. It's been a it's been a prequel two weeks. Yeah, actually, you know, it has been. My aunt got me for my birthday, which was last week, a French comic book of a Star Wars comic book, and I've never seen the art before. It was so I'm oh, just so happy. I'm like dr- I'm, I know. <laughs> I just remembered pictures of this already. <laughs> I don't know. I need to. I'm gonna post it on the Instagram. So wow, check out our Instagram. I'll I can't you. believe this is the first time I'm hearing about this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I feel, well, it's I feel a little sad. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Okay, so we should probably jump right into The Phantom Menace because we have a lot to talk about and just go, we're going to start off our amazing series <laughs> about each Star Wars film. But before we do, we actually have a little bonus that we're going to be adding to this series. So it's a little confusing to explain, but basically for every Star Wars saga film, so for The Phantom Menace, we're going to be highlighting one of the stars of the film. So for example, with The Phantom Menace, we're going to be highlighting Ewan McGregor. And what we're going to do is we're going to put a poll on our Twitter page about two of Ewan McGregor's other movies. In this case... Moulin Rouge or his film Down With Love. And on Twitter, you guys can vote for what movie you want to hear Charlotte and I do a short 20 to 30 minute review of, which we'll be posting for free on our Patreon page. So every movie, it's going to be different. So for Attack of the Clones, we're going to be doing Natalie Portman films and then Hayden Christensen films, so on and so forth. And we're super excited because we love all the other stars of Star Wars movies. That was a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> it's something that Caitlin and I have always been, it's been attached to our fandom. So we also want to talk about those movies in just this one special time yeah. over there for free on Patreon. So you can go to our Twitter page and vote for which movie you want to see um, us discuss. Moulin either Rouge. Moulin Rouge or Down With Love. Down and with Caitlin and I really, really, really want to talk about Down With Love. Oh but we'll talk about Moulin Rouge too. <laughs> We're going to be honest. If you've never seen Down With Love, Watch Down with Love. It's so fun. <laughs> but Mulan so is great too. So we'd be really excited to talk about that one. But Down with Love is just so different. It's got it's starring Renee Zellweger. I promise you guys won't be disappointed if you end up watching it. Okay, so we're getting ready to start with our discussion, but I'm sure some of you, if you know anything about Machete Order or have heard us talk about Machete Order ad nauseum on this podcast, know that the traditional Machete Order is A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, Episodes 2, 3, 6, and then 7 now. So you might be wondering why we're starting with The Phantom Menace. And to be honest, we don't have a really awesome answer for that quite yet. But we thought it would be interesting to kind of see the jump from The Phantom Menace to A New Hope, to see kind of the beginning of where the story starts with Anakin and then kind of jumping into the middle um, and flashing forward really far into the future of Anakin's life once he's already become Darth Vader. Now, we don't know if this transition will really work very well, but we thought it would be a fun one to try out here in the podcast. So that's why we're starting with The Phantom Menace and not A New Hope. But we'll be sure to catch you guys up on how we think the movies feel when you go from A Phantom Menace to A New Hope. So in part one, we're going to be covering the story. And this is going to be the same template for all of the episodes in this series. So part one, we're going to cover the story and plot of the movie. In part two, we're going to be t discussing characterization. And then in part three, we're going to leave a little open-ended so we can cover things like bonus content, um, how the movies were promoted, how they were received then and now, how it fits into Machete Order. And then if you guys have any questions or things you want us to discuss, uh, you guys can let us know on Twitter and we'll try to fit that into part three too. So without further ado, let's get started. At last we will reveal ourselves to the Jedi. At last we will have revenge. Okay, so welcome to part one. We're going to be diving right on into the story of The Phantom Menace and our initial thoughts about this film. Um, so I think wow. I just wanted to... <laughs> <laughs> I think I just wanted to start the discussion with just a guiding question of 
what do we think about the story that is presented to us in The Phantom Menace? It is a really complicated story. It's very complicated for also for being the first movie that came out after, you know, 20, 20 plus years. So I think that that probably I think does the most disservice to the film and its reception now um, is the complication of the plot and really keeping track of everything that's going on. I think if it was just a little bit more simplified, we would probably have a very different opinion of The Phantom Menace. Of course. I think that while Star Wars was definitely a story that came out of 1977, this is honestly a story that comes out of 1999 and the 90s. And what you get is a story of a different kind of war, something that is brought on by trade deficits and taxation and starvation and like terrible things going on in the world. And to me, each time I watch The Phantom Menace, I get more and more interested in it and more invested in it. And It's funny because it's often seen as the film in the series that's like the most kid-friendly, the kiddiest, because of Jar Jar. But every time I watch it, I get more and more out of it because it's so complicated. And I think that's something that bogs down the film, but it's also good for rewatching. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. I think that's something that we've talked about before that is nice about the prequels is that it's something that requires multiple viewings to really understand. And The Phantom Menace is definitely a really good example of that because it sets Mm -hmm. in motion everything that's going to be coming down the line. Do you think that it's the best place to start the saga? You mean per George Lucas or per Machete Yeah, per George Lucas. Like, do you think that he should have started it so far in advance before A New Hope? Like, do you think that a lot of people are of the opinion that The Phantom Menace shouldn't even really start there, but instead we should just come straight in into Attack of the Clones and, like, the first time we see Anakin shouldn't have been Mm -hmm. when he was a little boy, but instead when he was a teenager or, you know, a young adult? Um, I think the idea George had with kind of taking the most iconic villain of all time and showing him at his most vulnerable when he's five years or nine years old, a slave living with his mother is really is very dramatic um, and is very what's the word I'm looking for? Um, It's jarring. It's jarring. Yeah. Not to do a play on Jar Jar, but it's it's jarring. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I think that's what he was going through. And I think that he was so obsessed with that idea of showing a villain as a kid Um, And that really jarring image, almost at the expense of some things that could have been done better in the film. Like, for instance, starting with an Attack of the Clones era movie, or even showing Anakin when he was like 12 years old instead of 9 years old. He would have Mm -hmm. been in a very different place in life and would have had very different interactions with the people that he met, like Qui-Gon, like Padme, with Obi-Wan, etc., etc., I think Mm -hmm. when we were watching it a couple months ago, we talked about that, how that first interaction with Padme would have been very different if Anakin had been 12 years old. I go back and forth because I think it would have been great if he was a teenager. I think that the romance might have been a little bit more easier to buy and Mm -hmm. you would have thought it was like more cute than, you know, the creepy vibes that come off Mm -hmm. from like the nine-year-old to the 14-year-old. But... I think that there is something really awesome of the fact that we see this young kid who is just, like, pure good. He wants to help people. Um, it's just such a dramatic yeah. change, and it's it's just so tragic, and it really emphasizes how tragic it is. And I honestly think Jake Lloyd 
is great. I um, I just think it's such an interesting choice that George made. It's just, it goes back to how he wanted Star Wars to be a kid's movie, a mm. story for everybody. And, you know, it's just funny because we never see, a, like, a child in the original Star Wars trilogy. And so when we are first given this, and you know, Star Wars is for kids. It's a family movie. We respond so poorly to it and it's just it's just interesting how it all played out and it's just sad i i i get sad when i think about jake lloyd and um everything that has happened to him and Mm -hmm. what kind of anger came from the phantom menace towards him what i really think that his childlike nature was george's vision and yeah that's it (laughs) Well, it's interesting when you talk about how Star Wars is such a kid's film and it's aimed at, as George would say, young people. Um, I feel like he doesn't ever say children. He says young people. Um, But yet there is, and you have these really childlike things. You have, you know, Anakin, who is supposed to be, who we're kind of experiencing this through in some parts Mm -hmm. of the film anyway. And then you have the pod race, which is obviously really exciting and him becoming a Jedi um, Padawan at the end of it. And of course the duel of the fates is, is really exciting. I would imagine for kids, but then you do have the complication of everything that's going on in the bigger picture too, which I think as a kid, I know it was for me, it was really hard to understand. It's still kind of difficult to understand everything that's going on. You know, yeah, so yeah. <laughs> how, how those, all of those elements were kind of combined into that one film because they are such on opposite ends of of the comprehension scale I would say there's something you have to really appreciate about the fact that you know I say this all the time but that George Lucas wanted to tell this maybe overly complicated but complicated story Mm -hmm. through a child's lens and makes them makes the kid try to understand it and you know they trust the viewer I say trust the viewer all the time but honestly, <laughs> The Phantom Menace is the one that George was like, look, here it is. This is the origin story. This is how it's going to be. This is war. This is what starts wars. And it's complicated and it's messy. And you know what? Kids live it and live through it. And this is this is what it is. This is Star Wars. Well, it's a dose of reality because wars don't yeah. start. It's not like in a lot of other films where it's very cut and dry how a war starts. There's a lot mm-hmm. of things going on. Finances and resources are a huge part of what starts wars. And we've seen that all throughout history. And it's cool that in Star Wars it's the same way. Not that it's cool that yeah, there are wars, but you know what I no, mean? Like, no. <laughs> no, it's it's just it's really, 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 really cool. And also you get this you get this crazy I mean, we'll get to the characters, but you get this crazy story about this like beautiful planet that's starving. And they have these mm-hmm. this awesome queen with her awesome handmaidens, and she's just trying to deal with it in a peaceful way. And it's just like it's so cool. It's Charles just going to be subtly advocating for a handmaiden movie this whole episode, just so everyone knows. It's like it's kind of my life. Her subtly really awesome advocating handmaidens. For it. <laughs> yeah, but it's just the fact that George Lucas gives us this story that is so filled with all these different components. And and is like, this is where my saga begins is so Mm -hmm. interesting. (laughs) Well, what's interesting, too, is like with A New Hope, we're not 
we're not thrown in at the beginning of this movie or at the beginning of this story. It's the events are already taking place. You know what I mean? Like it's not like we're at the start of Naboo's troubles when we start with the Phantom Menace. We're kind of in the middle of it. And just mm-hmm. like in real life, things like this don't happen all at once. They happen slowly and over time and, and, and events and people and stress build on one another until you get to this breaking point of war, which is right, which is just about where we are in the Phantom Menace when we get there. Um, so I think that part of it is really cool. Um, and I know when we were rewatching it the last month, um, I was really intrigued by the just the society and the culture of Naboo with the gun guns um, and with you know, the, the Nubians? Is it the Nubians? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. the Nubians. Um, and just how there was this whole city underneath the water and no one really paid attention to them or knew that they were there. Yeah. And there's this that really was... complicated and subtle yeah. colonization subplot that is oh my so interesting. And it's like it's... you don't, you just, as a kid, it goes over your head, but then you watch it and you're like, oh my God, the politics of these movies are so complicated. Mm-hmm. On this one and planet. It, I know. And it's like, God bless George Lucas for giving these, you know, movies that are so indoctrinated into our society and our culture complications so that we can continue to return to them as modern myth and think about how complicated they are. Preach. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's cool because that was something, and I'll be honest, Phantom Menace isn't my favorite Star Wars film. I think we would both say that. Yeah, no, Um, it's definitely the one that we both return to the least. Yeah, and it it is one that I've watched the least amount of times. But like I said this last time, I was like, I don't think I'd ever really considered the dynamics of what was going on between the Gun Guns and... And, like, Padme, I had mm-hmm. never really thought about that dynamic and that relationship. It's like, oh, he's just the one that gives her the celebratory glowing orb at the end of the movie. Great. And they help him <laughs> at the end of the film. Awesome. But I never really took the time to think about, wait a second, like, what's really going on with these with these cultures and these, these groups of people? How are they interacting? Do they interact? And why not? You know? And I think that's something that we'll be repeating a lot throughout our time with the prequel movies is that... There's so much more depth and and worlds to explore from these films, I think, than more so than the original trilogy. Um, we're given little peeks into all these different cultures and worlds and planets and people um, and what kinds of stories they might have to offer in the future, more so than I think in the original trilogy. Definitely. So one final question before we move on to characterization, and it's a big one. Does The Phantom Menace have the Star Wars feeling? It starts, it's it's the start of a different Star Wars feeling. It's the Star Wars <laughs> feeling of the prequels, you know? Yes. It's, no, it's not the same as the original trilogy. And it was meant to not be the same. It was meant to be drastically different. I agree. I think that in terms of, you know, hope and redemption, I think there is that Star Wars feeling because it ends on a high note, even though there's Qui-Gon's death, um, the Nubians are free, and you see Anakin finally start his journey away from slavery and joining the Jedi, which, you know, in itself is hopeful, even though we know how that ends. Um, I, I just think that it, it does have that Star Wars feeling, and you're absolutely right that it has a different Star Wars feeling, and it is the start of a new era. And obviously, I can imagine that this era would be really tough to get used to, and you wouldn't think that it has that mm-hmm. Star Wars feeling. But, of course, yeah. this one does have some of the best Star Wars music written for mm-hmm. e- any film. 
Well, this is what I think is an interesting question about the notion of what exactly is the Star Wars feeling. Because mm-hmm. when you were just talking about the story elements of like hope and redemption and things like that as being the Star Wars feeling, for me, I think my first thought when I think when I hear the word Star Wars feeling is environment and how a mm-hmm. movie looks. It, it's just interesting how what we both relate to that to that phrase Star yeah. Wars feeling kind of immediately, you know, because it, mm-hmm. it's all wrapped up in one, right? Um, mm-hmm. But. For me, I think what was probably most shocking to people was the visuals of that film and how that didn't look like A New Hope and so it didn't feel like A New Hope. Oh, yeah, for sure. The brightness of it, the CGI, Mm -hmm. the shininess. It's totally different than... And that's the point. Um, Yeah, It's totally different than the other films that we had gotten before. Um, And it's just really cool. I, You know, you talked to me even two years ago. I am much more pro Phantom Menace than I was two years ago. I think that Mm -hmm. what is there is really, really interesting. And I think you're finding more and more people agreeing with that statement. Yeah, no, I agree. Well, it's uh, what I think is kind of cool is when you talk to some people of the original who were like around in the 70s when they saw the Phantom or saw the Phantom Menace in the 70s saw A New Hope in the 70s and so on and so forth. And then The Phantom Menace was the first Star Wars film they got to show their kids in theaters and how Mm -hmm. they have a really nostalgic reaction and appreciation for that movie for that moment of showing Star Wars to their to their kids for the first time. I think I think that's I think that's really cool about this film. Me too. And I just wonder It'll be interesting to see, and I keep saying it's going to be interesting, but it's going to be really interesting to see how The Force Awakens and the slew of new content that we get around this time period moves on, because I'm now nostalgic about the Clone Wars, and... Yeah. Oh my gosh, yes. It is so weird, and I never thought that, because it's still new in my head. Like, it's still, like, this thing that's brand new and totally different than what we saw before. Are we understanding how people who don't like the prequels feel? (laughs) Yeah, we are. We are. We do get it. It's very yeah. bizarre. It's, it's very weird. bizarre feeling. It is okay, weird. but I think we should move on to characterization and dig right into the characters. Let's do it. Okay, so we're back for part two, and let's get going right talking about the Phantom Menace and their characters. So what are some of your initial thoughts about the characters that are presented in the Phantom Menace, Caitlin? There's a lot, not a lot of characters, but, and I think this is a good critique of this film, is that it's not really clear who our main character is. We don't spend, I feel like we kind of spend equal amounts of time with every character, I'll be honest. Mm -hmm. You know, there's not one that kind of soars above and beyond as far as physical time spent with them. I think that Qui-Gon, you probably have a lot more time with just because if you think about all the moving pieces in the movie, it's like Qui-Gon's generally at the center. But that in itself is odd given the screenplay choice to kill him off in the end. So it's Mm -hmm. it's bizarre that that's whose eyes we're seeing. Mm -hmm. Um, But I know you have a lot of thoughts about (laughs) Qui-Gon. So maybe we should get into those. Okay. We're going to offend, you're going to offend some people. It's going to happen. No, I'm not going to. I'm just, I'm just going to be honest with my thoughts, guys. I'm just going to be honest with my thoughts. Honesty hour. (laughs) Safe space, right? Safe Um, space, yes. 
<laughs> so, as we said before, Phantom Menace is not a film we return to very frequently. I, I'll be more honest is that I can't really remember the last time I watched The Phantom Menace before we started this series. Um, and so when we rewatched it, I was just really overwhelmed with kind of how much Qui-Gon Jinn bothered me or just the <laughs> gosh there's like not a nice way to say this but just the way and and I think you would agree with this too don't leave me out here by myself Mm-mm. um that the way that Qui-Gon interacts with Padme in particular is it's really interesting like he's very um I don't even know how I to think he's controlling and he yeah, okay. he like takes over. He does, and he doesn't <laughs> listen to what other people are saying around him. He really does just take control of every situation and just kind of plows ahead no matter what the risks are, not only for himself, but for the people that he's with. Mm-hmm. And I was really alarmed by how much that came off the screen this last time I was watching it. Mm-hmm. It was crazy because, like, I like Qui-Gon Jinn, okay? I think he's the cool character. I loved when he came back in the Clone Wars. I think it's really cool that he is kind of like this rebel Jedi, blah, 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 all that good stuff. But the way he is in The Phantom Menace, it doesn't paint him in the best light, I'll be honest. Well, here's the thing. Qui-Gon is just not the kindest, I don't think. Um, it's so weird to me how yeah. he doesn't try harder to get me free. Mm-hmm. Um, he really is alarmed and he really is pushy about how he wants Anakin and how he thinks that mm-hmm. he's the convergence in the force. And he starts making all these decisions about what Naboo is going to do yeah. and what the queen should do about these problems, but he doesn't ever talk to the queen about it. He's just like, mm-hmm. this is what we're doing. And of course, Padme's like, uh, I don't think you should do that. I don't think the queen would like that. And he was like, the queen doesn't know what she wants and keeps walking, you know? (laughs) And it's like he makes so many decisions on his own and just kind of assumes that he is the person to make the best decision. And it kind of rubs me the wrong way. There's a lot of arguments to be made for pro Qui-Gon because I... I do like him. I'm with you. I like him as a character. I think that he is really interesting as he interacts with the Force and understands the Force and mm-hmm. his goal of getting Anakin. And be- he was right about Anakin. Anakin did bring balance to the Force, or Luke did. I don't know. Arguments to be made. <laughs> and um, but I just don't think he's the kindness kindest. And yeah. however, he does show compassion towards Jar Jar, but also Padme does too. I don't know. I think it's his character and his almost, like, push for Anakin to be a Jedi does, in turn, create an interesting rivalry, almost, between Anakin and Obi-Wan or, you know, a, a grudge. judgment, I might. Yeah, yeah, a, a, exactly. A, a grudge that Obi-Wan now has to uh, train Anakin because that's all that Qui-Gon basically cared about this entire movie. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that that is... We might just have to do a full episode on Qui-Gon in the future. (laughs) The tragedy of Darth Plagueis, the tragedy of Obi-Wan is, and like his relationship to Qui-Gon and then Anakin and then Luke and, I know. Obi-Wan kind of doesn't do a lot in this movie. He doesn't. It's uh, it's a weird place for us to start with Obi-Wan, but it's kind of good because we see him as this, you know, a Padawan. He's eager. Mm -hmm. He gets told off a lot by Qui-Gon and... Everyone um, does. He's impatient, and 
it's it's good to see. I think it's a good uh, beginning for his character, but it's an odd choice. I think. Well, it's good too because you you see how he's how he's much more the rule follower even than Qui Gon. Mm-hmm. You know, like the council yeah, even won't approve then. this master, all all of that, and Qui Gon's like, nah, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> But it's interesting how Obi-Wan gets um, put between Anakin and Qui-Gon, you know, as Padawan and as Master. And it's it, one thing I was thinking about, too, is just how, even though they were together for a short time, how much Anakin must idolize Qui-Gon Jinn in his head mm-hmm. as this great rescuer and is kind of striving to make him proud in some sort, even if it's on a subconscious level. Like, who knows how long it took for... Anakin and Obi-Wan to really bond and have a master-apprentice relationship because, I mean, I'm sure Anakin was probably... I think it took the Clone Wars. Probably, yeah. Um, but that's a long time to mm-hmm. to not have the best relationship. And I wonder how much Anakin wants to be like Qui-Gon because of Qui-Gon rescued him from slavery. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, you know, the, what Anakin learned about the Jedi right in the beginning was from Qui-Gon and Mm -hmm. also you know he freed him in a weird way you know and I think that that would there's there's so much to be said for young Anakin's the fact that he's a slave is just an interesting character choice Mm -hmm. um which makes it also very tragic because Anakin has been essentially a form of a slave his entire life yeah and so, of course, he was going to idolize Qui-Gon because at that point he received freedom from slavery because of Qui-Gon's actions, because Qui-Gon came to Tatooine and mm-hmm. all this stuff happened to him. Yeah. And um, as a kid, but- Anakin's not going to be paying attention to all of the other things that are going on. You know, no. how Obi-Wan is like, no, don't do that. And Qui-Gon's not really asking for anyone else's help. He's just kind of, you know, making the decisions all on his own and and really taking charge in in maybe some inappropriate ways. Anakin's not going to be going to pick up on any of that. You know, yeah. all he sees is these these people coming to rescue him and, and Qui-Gon is in charge of that. Um yeah, his dream that a Jedi came and freed all the slaves. It's just kind of sad. Um but I think we should talk about Padme because I want to talk about Padme. <laughs> yes. This is Padme's movie. Yeah. It is. And, it's you know, so essentially, is. without her being the true main character, Padme is the main character of this movie. It's her movie. She, It's her planet. She's the one that takes charge. She's the one in disguise. I watched The Phantom Menace when I... So the Phantom Menace was the first movie I saw in the movie theater. I cried. I left. Everyone who's listened to this podcast knows that story. I was like five. But when I really got into Star Wars was Revenge of the Sith, and I worked my way backwards. And I was really, really eager to see, you know, the story of how Padme met Anakin. And I always watch The Phantom Menace just so I can get a glimpse of that story. And on paper, it's the most dramatic story ever. They both met when they're children, and she was incredibly smart. They both were. They both were incredibly smart and cunning and help save the planet together from starvation. And it's just, like, really awesome. But that whole friendship was never really forged for me, I don't think. But what was forged was this awesome female character who took charge of her planet and wore awesome outfits and looked amazing and had blasters in her throne and had a new definition of what peace should be and could be. I love her. 
Wow, take a breath. Okay. <laughs> no, no, she she completely owned this movie. I something that always strikes me about Padme and the Phantom Menace is just that she's 14 years old. Mm-hmm. And then I think back to when we were 14 years old and how the cool <laughs> thing we did was like go to the mall by ourselves. You know? Yeah. We were we were like, yes, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and she's over here running a country and an espionage. It's crazy. It's so cool. <laughs> it's, it's really cool. I think that's the coolest thing that she just took charge. And, and she she didn't let her queenness hold her back. And she wasn't the kind of person to say, oh, Qui-Gon's a Jedi Master. He knows what to do. I'll let him make decisions. No, she wanted unbiased answers about what was going on and what the best course of action was for her people. Um, and so she took matters into her own hands and made sure that she was getting all the information in order to make the best decision for her people. And I think that's really admirable about her. We'll talk about it as the series goes on, but I do believe that this is Padme's strongest character movie. And mm-hmm. I've said this over and over again, but I really hope that we explore more about like Naboo and its royalty and the fact that she's an elected queen. Like, what the heck? Caitlin and I used to talk about this all the time about mm-hmm. how... It's so bizarre that she's an elected queen. <laughs> what are the politics on Naboo? Yeah. Who elects we need the to queen? know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Oh gosh. But on the same topic, maybe we should talk a little bit about Shmi and how she's never really discussed in terms of Skywalkers yet. I don't think, you know, her compassion towards her son and her plight in her entire life should be overlooked because it's very Skywalker. It's very sad, and I think something that struck me when we were watching it is just how when Qui-Gon is kind of telling Anakin this plan about how he's, you know, if he wins the race, he's going to be freed, Shmi knows that that doesn't include her, too. Mm -hmm. And that's just, you kind of, you see that on her face is when Anakin, you know, is really excited and starts talking to her about how they're going to be free, blah, 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 but she knows that, even from the beginning, that it doesn't, it doesn't mean her. That she's yeah, and stuck there. She asked Qui-Gon, um, can you help him? You were made to help him? Or he was mm-hmm. made to help you. And it's yeah. she knows that her son is special and she puts him above herself. And that sort of sacrifice is very similar to Luke, I think. And we mm-hmm. see that sort of sacrifice and that compassion come out all throughout the Skywalker line. It's, again, a very Star Wars-y feeling thing. Yeah, it's interesting how you have pretty much everyone in the Skywalker family has quite the tragic story, but you have mm-hmm. these pockets, almost like every other generation of these really compassionate people that are just, it seems, rooted in the light side, kind of mirrored and contrasted against these people who are shrouded in darkness, um, For like sure. Anakin and Kylo Ren. I think it's I think that's really interesting. Although I will say that the thing that still bothers me about this movie, and I'm not even saying midi-chlorians, I'm saying the Immaculate Conception of Anakin. It's stupid. It's <laughs> <laughs> it is stupid because I I can justify midi-chlorians in my head, but that I just, I, I roll my eyes every time. I'll be honest. Yeah, not a fan. Yeah, especially because it was just never brought up again. Like it was that's never retconned, it was never explained. I feel like it's going to be retconned in The Last Jedi. I really do. I think that's going to be brought up. Interesting. I think it has to be if they're going to be talking about the history of the Jedi and any sort of relationship to Anakin Skywalker, Darth Vader. I think it will be because it's going to be a lot more mystical and 
Um, I mean, it was it was technically alluded to in Revenge of the Sith, but again, it's kind of brushed under the rug. So I don't I don't know. <laughs> it's very it's a weird it's, thing. Yeah, it, it is a weird thing. It's. <laughs> <laughs> but overall, Qui Gon's like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. He's like, okay, Not phased at all. Nothing phases Qui Gon in this movie. <laughs> Anakin has been immaculately conceived. Not that Padme is actually the queen. Like when she does that reveal, it's such a great moment in the movie. And Padme or in Qui Gon's just like, mm, okay. all right. Okay. Yeah, Anakin has that great face where he's like, "What?" Yeah, <laughs> and even like, Obi Wan emotion. <laughs> yeah, and Qui Gon's just like, "Huh? All right, interesting." Yeah, <laughs> I've been disrespecting her this entire time. But that's the thing; he's not like, "Oh crap!" Like nothing like that. He's just like, "All right, let's keep going." <laughs> Yeah. Forge ahead. <laughs> okay, so how do we feel about the characterization that is done in The Phantom Menace? I think Padme is the one who really gets the best characterization in this film. I don't think the other characters really do. Um, yeah. We get little bits and pieces of it, but for how much of a player Obi-Wan would end up being throughout the rest of this trilogy, he really doesn't get enough time to shine in this film. And I think that's one of the things that disappoints me most about The Phantom Menace. Yeah, it does make me believe that and hope that, you know, George Lucas had a better storyline in mind for Padme in the future and then it just kind of fizzled out. But I I agree with you completely. It was such an interesting choice to not explore the Obi-Wan character more. Like, it's so weird. Why couldn't Obi-Wan have been Qui-Gon? I don't know. It's just weird. <laughs> Weird choices. Even if they were all together, like Padme, Obi-Wan, and Qui-Gon all the time, you would have had this great, we would have been able to do a great parallel between Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon as Master Apprentice and then Obi-Wan and Anakin as Master Apprentice. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we would have been able to explore more of this idea of does Anakin look up to Qui-Gon still after so many years? That kind of question, you know? Um, For sure. But he is kind of relegated to the ship for for the duration of the film. Yeah, why is he grounded there? It's just kind of annoying. It's just frustrating. Yeah. Well, it's From... Qui-Gon taking control. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you got to imagine, poor Obi-Wan. Qui-Gon's like, I found me a new apprentice. <laughs> Obi-Wan's like, wait a second. <laughs> I thought True. I was your apprentice. <laughs> and Qui-Gon's thinking, uh, mm, probably shouldn't bring Obi-Wan with me. Gonna have to give him the slip. <laughs> Oh my gosh. But you know what we need to talk about? What? Kitster. And oh how we God. had this awful moment watching The Phantom Menace of not only why can't Kitster give a good high five, mm-hmm. but how Kitster is probably Anakin's biggest fan. Like, he won the pod race. He was freed from slavery. He got to be a Jedi. Like, how cool that that's your best friend. <laughs> yes. And then you get to Bloodline era. Who knows if Kitster is still alive, but we're going to say that he is. Mm-hmm. And he finds out that Darth Vader is Anakin, little Annie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's so sad. <laughs> it's so sad. And so oh. funny and so sad. Like, Will we get more exploration of Kitster's life? Of Kitster's life. Was his life tormented by the Empire? I bet it was. I bet it was. Well, I don't know. On Tatooine, I feel like he would have been more tormented by the Huts. Yeah. As time went on. I wonder if he ever left. I wonder if he found a nice girl to settle down with and 
And they made a family. And I, I wonder if he named one of his kids Anakin. Because oh my God. that was just like his best friend. And he went on to be a Jedi. And he probably heard about Anakin during the Clone Wars. And how great he was as a Jedi, right? The hero with no fear. Mm-hmm. And then... And then he was Darth Vader. We need some new canon stuff about Kitster. I just got to know if Chan- Kitster finds Chani out. Benai. What? That's his full name. Kitster Chanchani Benai. Such a sad life now. It is, but it on it, yeah. I mean that. Oh, I gotta know what happens if he lives. <laughs> does he find out? Is he sad? He has to find out. He knows. I'm sure he He'll does. Find out. He's It'll still just alive. Devastate his life. It will. It might, it might, that might be what kills him, is finding out that Anakin was Darth Vader. Tell us what you guys think. <laughs> Let us know if you think Kidster lived to find out that Anakin was Darth Vader. <laughs> Twitter, at SkyTalkersPod. <laughs> okay, so I think we should move on to part three. I will not condone a course of action that will lead us to war. Welcome back to part three of The Phantom Menace, and in this segment, we're going to be talking a little bit about everything to do with The Phantom Menace. Um, I think what we should probably start with Charlotte is the making of documentary bonus feature. (laughs) That was so awkward. It was so awkward, so salty. That's the only way I can describe it is salty, salty, salty. I don't know if you guys have ever watched it, but on the bonus features, there's like a making of The Phantom Menace documentary, and the filmmaker was clearly out to show that this movie was a mess to begin with. It's on YouTube by the way. So you can go watch it on YouTube. Yeah. Um, It is so bizarre. I felt so uncomfortable watching it. It's really weird. It's like he, he just highlights all of the things that went wrong down the line and not in a, and then they made it through to the end, you know, not that kind of thing. (laughs) And they persevered. It was just a, well, this messed up, this messed up, too much money, not the right technology, who's the right actor, who's not, like, it was just time and time again pointing out the things that went wrong. It's and very it's, negative. It's so weird how this made it through mm-hmm. and ended up on the behind the scenes. And I don't know if it's just because we're watching it with a lens of knowing how The Phantom Menace was received, and so yeah. it just looks inherently negative to us. Um, and if maybe it wasn't received that way when it first came out, but if we're saying how movies age, this particular documentary did not age well. It's just such a weird documentary. I recommend everyone watching it if you haven't seen it. Mm -hmm. It's about an hour, an hour and a half, and Mm -hmm. it really is a very honest portrayal of the behind the scenes. It's kind of the, I honestly wish that we got that for The Force Awakens or some sort of honest behind the scenes documentary it's just a very uncomfortable lens you're right it's a weird lens to be watching it in because it is knowing that it's the least well the worst received star wars movie it's odd it is really odd but i mean like you said it's nice that there was some that it was very honest about the process Whereas I think we've you, moved way away from the honest process. Um, yeah, in like terms of PR is, speak, it's quite in sugar-coated. Star Wars. Yeah, the fact that we have that is great because it is, is so so true to how it probably was. And like the the example that I give is the Force Awakens documentary doesn't have anything about how Michael Arndt left and that whole mm-hmm. writing process or anything. There's not, there's none of that. It's just all about nostalgia. Yeah. And, Practical you know, effects. the fan, yeah, the Phantom Menace, 
<laughs> could have that documentary could have also done the same thing, but it didn't. It was an honest like mm-hmm. stress about making this huge movie. Maybe yeah. there should have been a little bit more balance <laughs> in yes. the Phantom Menace one. You know, good with the bad. Um, mm-hmm. But what is cool about this documentary um, is they do spend a lot of time with Jar Jar and Ahmed Bess, which I know me saying that everyone listening is thinking, no, thank you. But it's actually really cool how they decided how they were going to utilize Ahmed Bess on set versus what they were doing digitally, how like how all of those pieces came together. Because Jar Jar was one of the very first motion capture characters out there. And Mm -hmm. like in a lot of things with Lucasfilm and technology, Lucasfilm really set the stage and the standard for moving forward with moving forward with motion capture, which is, of Mm -hmm. course, a big part of films nowadays. Definitely, definitely. And it's really it's really great to see how much Ahmed Bass put into that character. Mm -hmm. And it really makes you appreciate it more. So I think that you and I both recommend watching it. It's just a a weird watch. (laughs) Yeah, it's hashtag weird watch. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, it it was really interesting. Everyone should definitely, definitely give it a go if you haven't yet. But do you have overall a distinct favorite moment in this film? Um, My favorite moment is when, um, a very distinct one is when Padme's like, well, I don't approve. That's my favorite moment. <laughs> it is. That's a really good moment. I think my favorite moment is probably when Padme reveals that she's the queen. I love that moment. Um, also, I mean, Duel of the Fates is so great. Yeah. That whole yeah. scene. Although it's funny because we were talking about this and we were like, this is this area. Like, what is this area of the palace? It's so different <laughs> from the whole rest of the palace. Everything else is like very classical, very pretty, you know, very frilly. And then you open these two doors somewhere in the palace and suddenly you're with like metal bridges and power lines and towers and all this thing and it seems like it's in the middle of the palace which is it was weird yeah i need to see like, like a the, blueprint of this the place. core yeah the core electricity but it's it's cool i think there's definitely a canonical answer for that i'm sure there um, is i just don't know yeah. what it is. <laughs> leland she has the answer I really want to know what you thought of this when you first saw it. I mean, can you even remember your first impressions of this film when it was your first Star Wars movie? Kind of. I, I'm i sure I liked it, but I know I was really confused by it. There was this, the, the Weird Al Yankovic song, honestly, like made me understand The Phantom Menace. Mm-hmm. Or at least get an an idea of the basic structure of what was going on with the plot. Because it was really confusing. And as someone who was not versed at all in Star Wars, I think probably all I knew was, like, Darth Vader and what he looked like and that he was Luke's father. That's probably yeah. all I knew. Um, and then to be thrust into that world. And as someone, when we were 13, it's not like I was 9 and could just kind of suspend disbelief on all the things that I didn't get. It was mm-hmm. like I understood what they were talking about as far as the politics, but I didn't really understand it. Does that make sense? Yeah, so for I think sure. For because that, we all feel the same way. <laughs> yeah. So for that reason, I think it was a hard movie to get into um, because there were just so many moving pieces and not really having any familiarity with them was really difficult. I mean, I'm sure it did help that you could just pop in the next one. And I knew that you were excited to get to that point. I remember that when I was showing you the films that you were like, okay, so like, we should watch the next one because it's going to get better. Yeah. (laughs) I was really 
really excited for Revenge of the Sith. I know probably because you uh-huh. talked it up so much. Um, yeah. But I was, I remember I was really excited for the Mustafar scene. I was like, yes, Mustafar, lava planet. <laughs> Phantom Menace is a hard movie, I think, to start on once you're past a certain age. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for that reason, it's probably not included in Machete Order. Um, the traditional Machete Order, of course, Skytalker's Machete Order. We're watching it now. But um, I think it is, I think it's smart to have it as background knowledge. Mm-hmm. Because there are so many complications going on, and there's a lot of moving pieces as far as the plot and the war and the Senate and the Jedi and the Padawan, like all of that going on. It's a lot. Um, but I think if you're just focusing on like the rise and fall of the Jedi and the rise and fall of like Anakin, I think it's I think it's okay to kind of cut it out. Mm-hmm. I do too. I think that it's a fine place to start if you're going to start with the prequels and attack the clones. But it really does cut out a major part of Padme's character mm-hmm. and her, it does. and it's, so it's a loss when you do it that way. I and it kind of does set up the Jedi Council and how things work, and you know the Force and the problems, and how if you're really interested in the politics, it does show how Palpatine begins his rise to power, and you kind of lose that with Attack the Clones. And I'm sure we'll speak to this more later when we jump into the prequels and we 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 decide what we think about having the phantom menace in the beginning but i think you do lose an element with it even though i'm fine with losing that element as a diehard extremely knowledgeable star wars fan Mm -hmm. yeah i think i am too i think really the biggest the biggest loss like you said is padme because she Mm -hmm. does so much in this movie and has some really interesting character beats um and action throughout this film um and a real sense of agency which kind of going back to our discussion a couple weeks ago with Padme and the knife and her her lack of agency it seems in that scene she Mm -hmm. does have a lot of it in this film which is really nice to see totally Um, she takes charge and um knows what she wants and will stop at nothing to get it Mm -hmm. And she's, the thing is, I mean, again, it's crazy. As a 14-year-old, she was putting her people first. That was -hmm. was her main concern, and there was a lot of sincerity in that that I bought. Oh, for sure. Which, again, 14-year-olds are the most selfish people in the world. (laughs) Not Padme. Not Padme. (laughs) (laughs) But do you think, because I know that I was the one who really wanted to put Phantom Menace first before A New Hope. Do you think the transition's going to work? To a new hope. I think it's going to be weird. Um, I think it is too. <laughs> I don't think we're going to like it. So I'm, I'm interested <laughs> to see how it goes. I think we're going to be like, no. No. <laughs> but but I'm, I, I, want, I want that experience though. Yeah, I think, it, I think it will be interesting to see. Because I've thought about this too, about the, the Force Awakens place in Machete Order now. And how mm-hmm. you could almost put that at the front and use Force Awakens as a framing device for then going all the way back through Machete Order. So I think it's it's kind of cool to to treat Phantom Menace like a prologue, like a really extended prologue, and then go into the whole story with our flashbacks and our original trilogy timeline too, um, and to see how far things have changed between the two films. Yeah, I think that'll be. I think in my head it's interesting. I don't mm-hmm. know if it will translate as well in film though. We'll see. We'll see see. someday. Next Um, week or two weeks from now. um, Just to reiterate, I realized that we didn't really 
bring this up, but the machete order is usually four, five, two, three, six, and now seven. Um, and we are doing it as one, four, five, two, three, six, seven. Wow. Yeah. Um, So the next film that we are going to be doing is A New Hope. And then after that, it will be Empire. And we'll be talking more about our thoughts about the Machete Order as it progresses. Mm -hmm. Um, But I did want to share an email that we got, you know, a couple months ago. And I just want to say that we've had a lot of requests to talk about the films individually. But this one um, was a really great one because... It's, it's from Jake and Brittany, and they asked us to do a episode dedicated to each movie and our take on why Phantom Menace isn't purely included in the machete order. And we will definitely get to that, um, especially now that we've watched it within the machete order. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much for the email. And if anyone wants to email us their thoughts, we'd love to hear them, hear from you, and mm-hmm. we'll respond to you. But I'm very eager to get to the next episode and uh, and discuss A New Hope because, you know, there's nothing quite like A New Hope. It's one of the best films ever made. Mm -hmm. Um, Don't forget to vote on our Twitter poll about what movie we should do for free on our Patreon page. So if you're listening to this within the time after that poll has closed, you should go to our Patreon page and check out our free discussion of the Ewan McGregor film. Yeah, remember, you can either vote for A, Moulin Rouge, (laughs) or B, Down With Love. Down With Love. Down With Love, for whichever (laughs) one you want to hear us talk about. And we're going to be doing this for all of the films, so when we cover A New Hope, we're going to be covering one of the stars from A New Hope and looking at some of their extra films outside of the Star Wars world to talk about. So we're super excited. Um, So I think that's going to wrap up the show for this week. Um, I think Caitlin and I both want to say thank you for joining us for our first all-film discussion. Um, You can head to our Patreon page for our free bonus discussions, as I mentioned before. And you can follow us at at SkytalkersPod on Twitter and over on Instagram at SkytalkersPodcast. And you can check out more of our awesome Star Wars content on Star Wars. Uh, whoa, not Star Wars. We're Skytalkers. not Skytalkers.com. <laughs> yeah. Skytalkers.com. Maybe one day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We also have a Tee Public store with some of our awesome designs on it. And we also want to give a big shout out to our patrons, Amy, Chuck, and Emma. Thank you guys so much, as always, for listening. We really appreciate it. And we look forward to talking again on our next episode. So, as always, may the Force be with you. May the Force be with you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Sky Talkers, This Galactic Life, part of the Assembly of Geeks Podcasting Network. Find the girls on skytalkers.com and we'll see you next time.